This is David Colosi with another episode of the Napping Wizard Sessions. Have you ever crumpled paper just right? Or covered a sheet from edge to edge with graphite? Or otherwise protected a clean page from damage at all costs? Rachel Bacon has, and from the sound of it, she'll continue doing so. She's been experimenting with materials for decades, and she's gotten it down to a science. The science of paper and pencil, trees and graphite, wood and carbon, pulp and powder. Just like diamonds and coal both come from carbon, and folklore spins yarns of devils shitting gold or turning gold into shit, Rachel's drawings act out allotropic roles. They're unique works that play with our perceptions of reality and confront us with lightness and dark, weight and scale, and encourage us to take responsibility for the materials we exploit. Her drawings operate on a subliminal and individual level and position us as guests on a planet that allows us to inhabit it for now. She was born in New York City and moved to the Netherlands after earning an art degree at Pratt Institute in 1990. She currently lives and makes art in The Hague, where she teaches drawing at the Royal Academy of Art. In 2016, she earned an MA in London at the Wimbledon College of Art. She reappears in New York City often, as well as travels the world taking advantage of artists and residence programs. Most recently, she participated in the BAMP Center for the Arts, Mass Mocha, and the Lower Manhattan Cultural Council's Art Center on Governor's Island, where we met in 2010. In addition to the Netherlands and the United States, she has had exhibitions in France and the United Kingdom, the Czech Republic, Turkey, Lithuania, Finland, and Sweden, among others, and she has been nominated and received several public art commissions. I encourage you to explore her website while we're chatting, and that's rachelbacon.com. Okay! Okay, let me think now. Hmm. Let's draw a picture, a picture of a face. Oh, yes, indeed, it sounds good. Wouldn't it be fun to draw a picture of a face? Oh, yeah. Oh, how, how do you start though? Yeah. Start with a circle, that's the outside of a face. Then put the eyes and the mouth and the nose and the hair and the ears in the proper place. Oh, I'm really drawing nice things. I'm drawing a mouth very quick and smile like mine. I am a pencil, my point is lead. I have an eraser for my head. Use my lead when you start to create. Use my head if you make a mistake. So, Rachel Bacon, welcome. <laughs> David Colosi. Welcome to, we're recording at the Brick Studios. It is April 5th, 2018, uh, and you just finished a residency at Mass Mocha. Yes. You were doing similar kind of drawings that you've been doing recently. Uh, well, actually, I did something new there, uh -huh. and... What I've been really trying to do is find the new thing within the old thing because I've gotten really tired of inventing the wheel each time I start a new project. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this time I really wanted to make the drawings stand up straight because uh -huh. one of the problems with paper is it just sags. Unless you fold it, it, it has no structure of itself. You can roll it, or you can fold it, you can get heavy weights, but it, it still it falls, it topples over. And I really wanted the drawings to be standing and almost falling over. So while I was up there, I actually laminated a layer of foil in between two sheets of paper. And I'm not sure if that is 
not cheating. Right. But <laughs> right. It, well, there is no cheating if you're making it there up. There you go. If you're making the rules. <laughs> but I mean, it's sort of conceptually, it kind of messes with the idea of this piece of paper standing right. up. And it changes it completely. It becomes a sculpture. And yeah. I'm, I'm not really sure if I want to do that. But it was really interesting. And the other thing that happens is I crumple the drawings. I'm destroying them. And then using, or I damage them. I don't think destroy is the right word. but Yeah. You weather the, you're actually making it usable, right? Yeah, I mean, I make it usable for myself. Yeah, that's what I mean. Um, it's interesting. when What I realized is when I started to limit myself that I had to think about the individual elements much more carefully. So there's also a little question in my mind of, is it all right for me to damage the paper, or should uh -huh. the paper just be damaged by something else? Right now, I'm actually doing the destroying or the damaging, which is fun also. Yeah. <laughs> but so you're talking about either with or without the foil, just basics about your process. You yeah. crinkle the paper first, and then you start drawing it. Talk a little bit about the process first, and then we can... We can get to the foil yeah. later, yeah, because the foil is important. But, um, yeah. Or just how the crinkling fits in as, like, step one. Yeah, well... I think the first step is the shape of the paper. So uh -huh. it's it's really the scale. So how big is it? What the shape of it is? So I make a sort of choice about the scale. And then I roll the paper and crumple it. And there's lots of ways to do that because it really changes the, the pattern. So if you just ball it up, it looks like the clouds, on if you, like as if you're looking down from an airplane on top of cloud. Or it looks like skin that's been magnified. The other thing I've been doing has been rolling it in sort of cylinders and then pulling it through my hands so it gets this very vertical looking pattern of crumple and that looks exactly like erosion on the side of a mountainside so it depends really how you do it but I start out with the crumple and then I bring in a grid at some point so mm -hmm. that usually comes later and sometimes I'll cut the paper again I mean I a lot of them don't work I think oh I figured this out and then yeah. What worked yesterday, today is not working. <laughs> so when it doesn't work, you crinkle it up and throw it away. I throw it away. <laughs> You're like, oh, that was a good crinkle. <laughs> I recycle it. <laughs> right. Someone else finds it, and they're like, this is exactly what I'm looking for. I didn't have to crinkle exactly. it myself. Yeah. You need to find your own things that you forgot you threw away. <laughs> right. <laughs> and is this black paper? Is it white paper? Is it? Um, well, that's one of the people? things I've been working on. I've been yeah. working only on black paper. The, yeah. the first drawing actually started on white paper, uh -huh. and I started actually at Governor's Island, where we met. And that drawing, I didn't finish there, but when I came back to where I was living in the Netherlands, I, I made another one, and that one worked out, I thought, really well, and that was with colored pencils and uh -huh. white paper. And I later returned to the black paper kind of discovered that when you draw on black paper with graphite it looks like whites like a white line it looks just like a mirror and so I started working on black paper only and I'm I really like the black paper and it took me a long time to find the right kind of black paper the texture is not right the paper will change with the light I've got a paper now with a lot of pigment in it and it's, it's fantastic paper and I'm considering buying like a house full of it so that when the paper <laughs> right. factory will close in another year I, I, my whole practice doesn't go down the drain <laughs> yeah I do so, that with paper too and yeah. New York Central closed and I was like oh, oh shit where am I getting my paper this was devastating yeah. this was really yeah. bad but yeah Talus yeah. I found yeah. out has it so 
that was a big yeah. loss. And also the, the, the staff there were yeah. so amusing <laughs> <laughs> because they kind of hated the customers. Right. They're like, I just want to be drawing. I just want to be making art myself. He's like, stop bothering me. And yeah. you felt like it was a triumph if they were just a tiny bit polite to you right. <laughs> or acknowledged your presence. Yeah. <laughs> they were great. I loved them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with the drawing on them, I mean, you cover the entire surface with graphite? Depends. Uh, the first ones I did, I was actually drawing around the damage. So I drew, It's a, it was a kind of negative drawing. So the, the line actually is the paper. Mm-hmm. So the line is undrawn. Right, <laughs> like right. The undead every time I see <laughs> yeah, it. the undead line. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I was just filling in the undamaged parts. Right. So that the damage was actually the drawing. And that created this really detailed pattern of kind of vein-like shapes, or it looks like tissue. As I said, it looks like clouds. It looks like all these different Mm -hmm. things. But those drawings take an insane amount of time to make. Yeah, Um, because you don't use like a one-inch wide pencil. No, I use a mechanical (laughs) pencil. Right, I started with uh, half a millimeter, Yeah, and I changed that. I'm now using 0.9 because that's a little bit bigger, and it just takes forever. Right. Yeah, 0.5 probably break. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, mechanical pencil, you don't have to sharpen them. So that's brilliant. Earlier you said that you didn't know if you wanted to create those crinkles yourself or find them crinkled. What's the difference for you? Well, I think it's probably visually it doesn't matter very much, but more in terms of the intention, I think it's important. My original drawing started from a, a, a sense of frustration of really the crumpled paper, the work that's a failure, and you crumple the paper and you throw it in the waste paper basket, you throw it in the corner, and you throw it away. And my thought about that was that this thing that we discard, that we overlook, that is worthless, so-called, is actually the thing that's really important. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to use that idea. And I think in that sense, that I'm the one who's crumpling is fine. But I'm trying to broaden out this idea of damage and how damage underlies a lot of things that are sort of on the visible landscape. I was thinking, well, I'm not sure if I need to actually be the crumpler. I, mm. It might be something else that's doing that. I could actually have the work resonate in a different way without actually having to change a whole lot. But I could still make these drawings. But I mean, there's a lot of examples of artists who use damage as a creative force. Mm-hmm. Um, can't remember the artist, but he, I think he might have been German, but he made these stainless steel cubes that were welded shut and they were sort of airtight and then he sunk them down in the ocean mm-hmm. at this incredible depth yeah. and they, they the pressure of the ocean sort of crumpled them yeah. and then he pulled them up and exhibited them as a sort of minimalist yeah. art piece. You know, that's wonderful. <coughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess even if you think about earthworks and things like that, they were kind of damaging the landscape to create something or some will call it damaging some will call it making art with it making marks with it so is that part of the the process or like you'd like something weathered so you're not actually physically doing say harm i I wonder how important i am and i think i might need to take myself out of the equation and have the damage be something i find for instance it's i won't say forced but it's I'm thinking a lot about the impact of our human activities on the landscape. So I'm wondering if I'm not actually in that, by being the crumpler, I'm actually doing a sort of similar thing, sort of instigating a kind of damage. And maybe that's fine to do, and I just need to frame that a little differently so it's a bit more visible as an act or something. 
again, these are the things that come up as I've sort of narrowed the scope of what I'm doing. And I think it makes the work resonate on different levels. And I'm trying to sort of take the time to really look closely at what each of these elements actually means mm. or could might mean. So I'm not there yet. I don't really know. Right at this moment, I'm the principal crumpler. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like damager in chief. That's so. a great <laughs> job title. Principal crumpler. There we go. <laughs> I mean, your business card would just be a wad and ball. Is your phone number in here? <laughs> Oh, that's so good. <laughs> there you go. So some of the drawings, they look like chunks of slate or something. Sometimes black slate just chips into these thin slices. And the way it's reflective, kind of like what you were saying with the drawings, is there some kind of simulation you're trying to do there with, say, rock or carbon or the relationship between the pencil and that kind of element. Yeah, well, with the larger scale, I have two or three now that are a meter and a half by three meters, which is pretty big. And I'm not able to do those with a mechanical pencil. And I'm not actually filling in the the cracks or sort of drawing around the lines. I mean, I would, in a way, love to do a really huge one, but that will take me a sort of year and a half. I mm-hmm. mean, it's really, really time consuming. So for the larger drawings, I've been using a graphite stick and then covering mm-hmm. the whole surface and that just looks like a big sheet of paper covered with pencil but with those drawings what I do is I fold them so that the paper has a dent in it and then the light falls differently on the paper so there's a cut Mm. line through which is actually a darker so the light is creating the the line in Uh the drawing and those drawings really do resemble something falling off a mountainside and I was doing a residency in Banff in Canada and there were a lot of people there who were doing a project called Geologic Times. We were taking hikes in the mountains and getting lectures from geologists and the mountains there they look like a wave that's been frozen and they're I'm sorry I'm going to say it mistakenly they're they're a million years old they're probably I can't remember exactly probably like 400,000 years old they're really old um but you you walk up in the mountains and what you see is that you see that the hillside is sort of slipping away so the mountains actually eroding in front of your eyes mm-hmm. it's just going to take 100,000 years to be noticeable but it's this very strange feeling of time being very tangible and very close and also being immensely large. What I saw later in the drawings is I had actually been looking a lot at the side of the mountain and how it kind of shears off and it just breaks off. And so one of the drawings in that exhibition in Dumbo was made there and that really had a lot to do with the experience of the landscape. And when I was out there, that's the first time I made a really large drawing and I think it's also because of the landscape. The experience is really physical and bodily and you can't encompass it. And I was trying to, the drawing's not that big, but it felt like it was shifting because of my experience of walking and looking at the landscape. So was that a lot of that residency in Banff? Were you out walking, checking out the landscape, and then coming back and figuring out what to do next? Well, well, there were a lot of artists there, so we hung out together, but there's not a lot to do Mm. except (laughs) be in your studio or go walking. Yeah. And I went as much as I could, and it still wasn't enough because every time I was out walking, I was like, "Oh, I have to go back and work in right, the studio." Yeah. <laughs> but if I would be out there again, I would probably try to do more more hiking, just because yeah. it's it's so magnificent. And there are bear and cougar and elk and all kinds of things. Yeah. So you're really attuned to the, your king <laughs> and paying attention the whole time. Yes, yeah, it's, it's just really magnificent. I mean, 
I guess that's the thing with residencies. You either want to go to someplace that's really, really boring <laughs> so you can just be in the studio and focus on maybe what you thought you were yeah. going to do, or you want to be in a place that's so amazing that whatever you propose is like out the window immediately, <laughs> exactly. and now you're going to make water sculpture or whatever. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. roll down the hill and print the stones. Yeah, no, it, there, I think the balance was pretty good. And at, at a certain uh, moment, I, I was there in September and October. And then, yeah, we were going to go on another really long hike, and it snowed. The whole thing is closed off. And what is your experience with residencies in terms of, like, mm. what you propose and then what you actually end up doing? I think what I've always tried to do is have a plan. Mm-hmm. Because if I don't have a plan, yeah. I found I found it always, I always feel very insecure. And you're there with you know, 10 other or 20 other artists, and they're all busily working, and you're mm-hmm. thinking, what the hell am I going to do? <laughs> yeah. They know what they're doing, and I don't. Right, yeah. <laughs> and um, so what I did this time was I brought some drawings I needed to finish, so I uh-huh. was working on them. I had thought, oh, I'll work large scale, so I brought materials, because that's the thing. You mm-hmm. don't have any way to get new materials. So that's the sort of limit which can be really productive. Yeah, you have to make do with what you have, and that usually works kind of well for me. So I finished some old work, and then I made something actually really new, this was Banff you're talking about yeah. now? So now when we go back to Mass Mocha mm-hmm. and getting these things to stand, what is that shift for you? Because I know you had them on the wall, and then there was one that I think slipped, and you, you were sort of like, I think it looks good right yeah. there, <laughs> just the way it landed. Yeah, yeah. So what do you want to try to accomplish with getting them to stand? I think it's really about the interaction with the viewer, that there are physical entities that the viewer has to experience bodily so mm-hmm. I'm right now I'm really thinking about something that conveys an experience that's a physical experience you've got to go see the artwork to mm-hmm. have that you can see the image and it may be intriguing but you've got to actually experience it to know uh, what it is I think we're in a very difficult time right now a lot of stuff is going to change and happen mm-hmm. and I think art is kind of a way of attuning ourselves to this change and I'm, I'm thinking that has to take place individually actually mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm happy if it's even a small group of people who see things but I would like them to experience something physical and the idea of the drawing standing up there's a, a kind of wonderful thing that happens when you fold the drawings and on one side is drawn with graphite and the other side is black and at the corner, when they meet, if the light is right, and if the crumple's right, the light sort of disappears. It's sort of uncanny. It's a very weird effect. And you can't really photograph it either, but mm-hmm. it looks like the light has gone down a hole. The light on the line or just between the two sides? Between the two sides. So it really depends yeah. on the angle, because uh-huh. if you do it too close, you can't see it, and you know it depends where the light's coming from. But... But there's this moment where it's total destabilization of of light and space. And I was thinking about creating this kind of place so that we actually attune ourselves or get used to this destabilization. I think it's actually really important that ambiguity is something we are comfortable with because we're not, most of us. And I'm sort of thinking about that a lot. And it's also really to do with your physical experience. So it's about us as animals, as as pieces of flesh that have a limit that aren't virtual we're really close evolutionarily to animals and Mm -hmm. so we're not far away from that and we through our technology we've utterly lost control Mm -hmm. (laughs) of this thing which is really special and i think we're at risk of damaging things a lot further if we don't understand that in our own physical experience so this was really the motivation to try to get the drawings to be 
something I could install in a space and mm-hmm. that you could walk through and around. Yeah, and you were talking about time earlier with the geologic time. I mean, sometimes when you experience things physically, that thing kind of can control your time frame <laughs> in <laughs> yeah. a way. I'm sort yeah. of thinking of yeah. like the place I experienced it the most is Lamont Young's dream house. You know what? I was yeah. there this afternoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. See? There you go. <laughs> yeah. I had that on my list and I yeah. hadn't been there before. And I was like, I don't have much time, but I'm going to go. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. No, what I, what I always, yeah, there you go. what I appreciate the most about it. I, I, did, I have not been following you. <laughs> no, what no. I, <laughs> right. This is a little suspicious, yeah. David. Yeah. yeah. No, it's like when you were talking about experiencing an object like that, like when I go into the dream house, no matter what you're doing, I'll go in there, you know, if I'm alone or if I'll have a couple of people with me, I'll be like, oh, I want to show you something. And we're kind of, you know, walking around and amped up and you go in there. And once you're inside, it resets your time frame. Yeah. You have to change your pace. This is controlling your pace now. Just go with it. part of that kind of experiential time in relation to the body yeah i mean that's to my mind just so much further than i am at this point and i'm I'm just starting to think about this because that work is a total installation and also because of the media the sound is it's immersive when i first walked in i thought oh god this is sort of just on the verge of annoying and then the longer you sit there the the more penetrating it gets and it it's not annoying, but it's it's very heavy. It's very moving. Yeah. Uh, so that really made an impression. And I, with something like sound, it's really possible to do that. With something three-dimensional, it's a question of scale. And scale is not necessarily about big or small. It's about relationship. So it really depends on the place. Like, for instance, I'm, I'm a really big fan of Richard Serra's drawings, mm-hmm. which they do exactly that. You walk yeah. in and you are in space suddenly mm-hmm. and you're there's sort of really subtle contortion or something that's going on. And some of those drawings can be quite small, actually. They're, mm-hmm. you know, a meter and a half high, and then they're still, they still do that. So that's something I'm really starting to try to play with and see what distracts and what, what works, and is it the light that I need to try to control or, or mm. manipulate? or Yeah, there's a lot of elements that go into that. I'm really interested in experience of materials because I also relate that back to the body and to the surface so all the drawings they really resemble skin or flesh in some way you know it might even be something hanging on the wall that looks like skin or or sheath so that you immediately have a particular feeling about that that might also be an immersive experience Mm -hmm. so it really depends how you do it yeah when you were describing your experience with the dream house I was thinking yeah when you're listening to that it finds a rhythm with your blood or something. Yeah, no, <laughs> you that's, know? that's, I think there's something to that. And um, maybe the way you're talking about the drawings with skin, there's a way to, you know, kind of uniting yourself with what you're looking at. I mean, they might be a half cylinder, for instance, something mm-hmm. that you step into that's human size. You know, I tend to think it's probably something pretty simple. And to go back to the foil story, mm. the only way to get the drawings to stand up 
uh, is either you have to build a structure on the inside and then build them around it or fold them in a kind of origami-like way, which I, I don't mm-hmm. want to do, or I laminate them with foil now, and now they really stand up, but they crumple in a really different way. So they look now like wood, bark, like trees. So I didn't expect that. Uh, Just because the crumple's <laughs> not as linear or something? It's, it's much deeper, mm. and it goes up and down, and it's bizarrely like tree bark. And I'm thinking, huh. how in the natural sort of system of things do you go from twisting some aluminum right. foil <laughs> to getting tree bark? I mean, yeah. what principle is at work here that's <laughs> uniting this, this, these two disparate things? You know, right. This is wonderful. <laughs> you mentioned Richard Serra, and when you were talking about the experiential thing, I mean, with like the torqued ellipses, you have to be there experiencing it to sort of feel that sensation. When you were talking about the drawings becoming sculptural, in a way you're kind of taking that same kind of sensitivity of making these things objects that you have to either enter into or walk around. But then you're doing with paper and not tons of steel, (laughs) you know. Yeah, because, I mean, respect for Richard Serra, but the most moving thing I find about them is that they're they're just standing the way they are. I mean, like Tilted Uh Tilted Arc, for instance, is to me – brilliant piece of art absolutely yeah. fantastic because yeah. it made every it pissed everyone yeah, off I always liked that one. <laughs> it cut through this yeah. it made everyone aware of the space and it made everyone angry at the sculpture and it was a brilliant piece of work yeah. but the <laughs> other ones that they've become so big and i just i find them a bit um too much mm-hmm. like the train station in uh, milan it's like uh-huh. built to make you feel tiny it's built you know during mussolini's time it's like you walk in there and you look you feel like you're a tiny tin yeah. soldier but um yeah so richard Serra, like the splash lead work I, I for some for some reason i don't know it just makes me want to cry it's so great and the these pieces of paper they they do refer a little bit to sarah but they look really like sad yeah. crushed sarah so they yeah. they have they're too feminine i mean i don't want to like use a label that yeah. way but they're they're so not what he would do yeah they're almost free of, of the weight <laughs> of that, you know? It's like yeah, they're anti, a lot more free. <laughs> anti, anti-weight. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're light. Yeah. They're light yeah. in that sort of yeah. Italo-Calvino sense of just like yeah. floating. And I mean, they're not quite dreamlike, but they are more similar to skin than a huge chunk of iron. Yeah, that's for <laughs> sure. Know? But they have a metallic quality because they reflect the light in the same way. Mm-hmm. And... And you were asking before a little bit about materials, and as I was saying, I'm limiting myself and trying to delve into the layers of each element. And one of the elements is graphite. First of all, it's like the most basic drawing material you can think of, mm-hmm. paper and pencil, and that's yeah. it. And I love that simplicity. Um, and I'm also I'm so confused most of the time that it's very helpful for me to just have these <laughs> two, two things yeah. <laughs> so I don't have to choose. Yeah, no, I know that um, feeling well. And it's not graphite powder because I don't want – yeah. that's not it. And it's too fancy. It doesn't work. <laughs> it's like that's keys and uh, – uh, batteries and I, I'm it's like <laughs> pencils. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's also carbon. It's coal. Right. It's diamond, <clears throat> and the graphite mm-hmm. and the diamonds are linked. I think they're called aleotropes, if I'm not mistaken. They're the same chemical structure. And again, it's completely mind blowing that the same structure has all these different forms. I'm also thinking a little bit about 
this humble pencil and how it transforms itself into something valuable mm-hmm. through a lot of attention, a lot of time, and also attention to something damaged. And I was talking to someone in Massmoke about this, and I used the word pathetic, that I, I really want the work to look pathetic. And he said, oh, do you mean pathetic or do you mean... <laughs> he was Greek, actually. He's like, do you mean in the Greek sense of the word? And pathos is something special, actually. So it's, yeah. it's much more in that sense of something being empathetic or something that creates an emotion or feeling or a, a sense of connection. So that's the quality I'm sort of looking at. And at the same time, they have something quite strong because they look shiny and they're, they look like they could cut you yeah. as well. Mm-hmm, she got diamonds on the soles of her shoes. And with the crinkling, you're creating this sort of network. I think through a lot of your previous work, You've been interested in webs and networks and pathways. When you were at the show in Dumbo and you were talking about it, you were talking about them in terms of like neurons and things like that. Is there something for you with the lines crossing and network spider webs and hammock? Yeah. Previous work yeah, of yours yeah, that I know. Yeah. And highways, didn't you do one with intersections and highways? I, I and, did, yeah. yeah. It's always been linear and endless the network just keeps going mm-hmm. and i really can't tell you what that fascination is simply that it's something i see and i'm just constantly picking that out yeah i really love the way those things look i think they look fantastic and i'm i think i see things very two-dimensionally so i see patterns mm-hmm. i don't see things in the round living in the netherlands and riding a bike yeah. for 35 years yeah. and I still can't visualize how gear shift works it's uh-huh. impossible for me I don't know I can't see it uh-huh. and right because your, your eyes are on the road <laughs> well that's probably a good thing yeah how things are, are related in space I don't really uh-huh. see that but I'm always looking at pattern yeah I, d- I don't know about the the networks it's it is something that's kind of come b- back mm-hmm. a lot so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, it's good that you mention it but absolutely the other thing has been I've always worked with paper like at art school I did a internship at a paper makers mm-hmm. i mean i was always into paper and mm-hmm. i've done lots of paper models so th- for some reason that's always been the medium or the, the thing I've, I've used probably just because of the the physicality of it but also the resonance of it being connected to so many different things and mm-hmm. that's what i like about drawing as well is that it's it's an architectural drawing it's a scribble it's a little map it's mm-hmm. a beautiful leonardo sketch for something yeah. it's, it could be really so many different things yeah i guess pencil and paper in two different sets of hands, yeah. they could become <laughs> something totally, I guess, in a way, it's like music, too. Um, and the other thing with paper that I remember most is your paper canoe. Right. <laughs> there know? we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, that, and you did submerge that canoe, right? I burned it. Oh, you burned it. Eventually. You wanted to put it in the water. I did, but yeah. they wouldn't allow us. Right. So Take I rules. <laughs> burned it. <laughs> yeah, the East River is so clean, so that's yeah. why they won't allow that. <laughs> yeah. And what well, is what is your relationship with, or as you're making the work, you're, you're distressing it. We won't say damaging right. it. Right. Mm-hmm. But, like, what's your relationship <laughs> when, let's say, a collector buys one of these drawings and it gets damaged? What do they do? Do, um, do they send it to a conservator? Does like does entropy play into yeah. it for you? Well, I mean, today when I took down one of the large drawings, I tore it, mm-hmm. and that's fine because I repair it and then I 
redraw it and you you see the scar become part of the drawing. So yeah. that's fine. So that kind of damage is, is fine. And, and if a collector would buy a drawing and it would get damaged, I might make a clause in the, the little certificate that I will be, I'm prepared to come and repair the, the drawing. Because um, I also redraw them sometimes if they get a little bit dusty or something mm-hmm. happens. So there is a problem, for instance, with water. Thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Enemy number so, one. <laughs> yeah. So water, fire, oil, paint. Yeah. Paint is my enemy. Yeah, so there's damage and there's damage. And one of the things I was thinking about, how these drawings arose is from my utter frustration at trying to keep paper clean and without Uh any kind of history. (laughs) So once you've crinkled it or folded it, it's like a scar. It will not ever go away. Uh And it carries this history. And I've been making perfect, or they were supposed to be perfect paper models. I made one of a refugee boat, a rubber boat. Mm And it was life size, but it was four and a half meters, and it had, was the same size. The boat had carried 25 people across the Mediterranean. I'd gone and found this boat in, in Italy and measured it and remade it mm-hmm. in like complete detail. So it was a maniac thing to do. And when they wanted me to show that work somewhere else after mm-hmm. the show, I had to destroy it and then yeah. remake it. How and do you it, ship yeah, that? there was no way I would have had to have built a crate that was four and a half yeah. by five and a half meters and that it I, hovered in and just floated. Yeah, and there was obviously yeah. no budget for that. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, and I was getting really frustrated about it because I could only show the work once. Yeah, and then. I don't know if you've ever seen these drawings. They made a whole a series of drawings of my shit. Yeah, the shit alphabet, the shit alphabet. I think. Yeah. yeah, I remember hearing so, about it. <laughs> the shit alphabet. So, yeah. I also have something, not just networks and paper. I've always been kind of interested in language and words so uh-huh. that, that sort of seeps in once in a while. So I made these drawings of my shit, and I'd been shitting letters. And uh-huh. as you know, the, the toilets in the Netherlands are flat. So uh-huh. you, you poop, you're pooping, you see it as sort of health thing. So you yeah. can see if you're sick or whatever. And there's a lot of philosophy attached to this subject, which is kind of interesting to jump yeah. into, but I won't b- bore you with that now. But um, the uh, bore me about no. scatological <laughs> philosophy. What's to be bored Let's about? Let's go for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well. But anyway, uh, we can come back to that <laughs> yeah. maybe. But um, anyway, I had these series of drawings and uh, 25 letters. So one letter was missing the M. I never managed that one. Uh-huh. And you got a W, but not an M. Yeah, it, the M was like did not work. It's too challenging. <laughs> and um, so they'd been sold. I, I made a series of three, so I'd made three ser- sets of these, and one was sold to two collectors. That was very funny. Mm-hmm. And then uh, then they wanted to take this, the work to um, Amsterdam Drawing Fair. Mm-hmm. So we got there and hung up the work. I was so excited because yeah. it was like, this is my first drawing fair, my first art fair. I'm yeah. like, going <laughs> to make a splash here with my shit alphabet. You know, this is so good. Yeah. And then it rained five days in a row and yeah. they had to dry out the tent with a big blower. Oh, and, it was and in the, a tent. Yeah, it was uh-huh. in a tent in Amsterdam. And then First of all, they got wet, so they sort of sucked up the water, and then the blower was directed exactly on the drawings. Yeah. So I came back that <laughs> evening, and they had all crumpled, and they had yeah. they sucked everything up, and they it was like 
toilet paper. I mean, not any drawings <laughs> anymore hanging on the wall. Right. It was so bad. Toilet paper. And exactly, it was sort of poetic justice. <laughs> and then they said, "Oh, Rachel, you have to take your work down because we can't show this now because this is, uh, you know, we can't show this. Your work yeah. is kind of it destroyed, like and shit. you know, too bad for you." <laughs> yeah. And that made me very upset. I thought, you know what? I'm going to be the one to damage my work, yeah. so that no, no, so that this will not happen again. Yeah. And so it's really out of a sense of frustration as well, this yeah. crumpling. So the idea about frustration or that as being a motor for something creative, mm-hmm. yeah, is really part of the the crumple. Yeah. yeah, where you want to be in control of of what happens next. It's like, well, I intended for the the humidity and the air to distress these further. Yeah, the the idea of control is really Freudian, and he was writing about shit as a sort of creative act and a sort of generous and joyous act and Mm. the anal retentive is holding everything in and that's also a miser so Uh Freud was sort of fascinated by German mythology and there are lots of references to the devil leaving behind a pile of gold which turns into shit once he leaves Uh so he's tricking you into (laughs) thinking so there's there's an association between gold and shit and my idea was diamonds and carbon (laughs) here we go and we've got also the the gallery which is selling the artwork which is gold but actually it stinks to high heaven (laughs) you know this money thing and the art thing they don't make sense to me and so i was thinking this is a great combination but i've got this feeling that first of all we don't pay attention to things that either frustrate or hurt we, we always want to get away from the thing that's annoying and that, that is bothering us. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's um, a pity and it, it makes us less resilient. I don't think you can kind of stop this process and say, oh, we're here at this moment where you've made this perfect work or where you've done this great thing. And, and, or as a society, we've reached this point. But we're always in a process of breaking down and building up. And mm-hmm. that's uh, important to sort of keep an eye on and look at so we don't just ignore the things that are there. Um, yeah, or flush the shit away, or there you, know, you go. Get rid of our garbage. Yeah, so or, <laughs> in, yeah. I mean, even chicken. <laughs> well, this, this we is, don't want to see the dirty parts. We just yeah. want to eat the, the chicken nugget. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. chicken finger. Yeah, and you want it in a shape that's actually quite abstract, so yeah, it doesn't even resemble right. a piece of a yeah. leg or something. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Take the eyes yeah. out. Take yeah. the head off. Yeah. Yeah. Well. And and this kind of goes back to the ecological crisis. I think we're in is that it's really important to see the shit to sort of see what we're doing and not think that we're separate from that because it's coming back to get us and will continue to happen so this is again this idea of attunement to something very uncomfortable and I guess with that another question I had was just your relationship with the sciences it seems like a lot of different sciences come into your work and is that something that you have always been fascinated with studied or well i'm really always looking or listening to the news i read a lot of nonfiction, mm. so i'm and i find that especially with the sciences a lot of incredibly interesting stuff is going on yeah and as, as much as i sort of in love with the art world and addicted to the art world mm. i think for me a lot of the writing about art is very esoteric and yeah. very removed yeah even though there's so many artists who are engaged socially and who do really interesting work. It just seems like the language sometimes is so impenetrable. So I, I try to do my theory reading as well because it's also fascinating and interesting, but I find it less compelling sometimes. Mm-hmm. Although I'm starting to read some stuff which is really, really interesting. What, I guess what I'm interested in is this bridge between the art and the world. And mm-hmm. the, if you aren't crossing that bridge or somehow opening that up, it's... I think we need to be in relation to things. That's, mm-hmm. that's probably where I stand on that. 
So you were you were never like I'm going to be a chemist. <laughs> no. When you were young. <laughs> biologist. That was or not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have to be good at math and right. that kind of thing. And I, w- I actually remember being in a physics class, and yeah. I think I was the only girl, and I think I had to take it. And the the teacher was like this absolutely gorgeous man. So I was I don't know 15 or something. Yeah. So I was I had this crush on the physics right. teacher, but. I was often, I was sitting there and I was blown away just by what we were talking yeah, about. Yeah. And so I always had really nice conversations with the teacher. Uh, yeah, I was always really inspired by that. I think there's similar things at work with scientists as with artists. Mm-hmm. You have to use your imagination. You have to think in terms of materials and then to kind of go back to not what we think, but what we see and what we observe. And and I think artists also do that. Mm-hmm. You're, you're really looking at the limits of a particular material how far can you push that stone or that piece of wood or that drawing or that that stick or whatever it is Mm -hmm. yeah and the way you were talking earlier too it's like we're always conducting experiments (laughs) on paper on stone on you know iron on whatever on ideas or you know the the studio is really a laboratory yeah it seems like the thing that you did with the sciences is you sort of found the poetry in the sciences One example is when you were talking about the light disappearing and going into this, not quite a black hole, but it vanishes. Even biology, when you're talking about skin and, you know, you may not know every detail of what you're seeing under the microscope, but you're completely enamored by what you see and reproducing that. Yeah. Yeah. But I think also that artists do something really different Mm -hmm. with what they see. And there's a kind of insane freedom with art that... I really like to inhabit like that's where I want to be is where there aren't really any rules for me to follow and the rules are of course there because you've internalized it all these methods and methodology is another thing that's a little bit similar in that you certain things that work and that don't work and you Mm -hmm. try things out and so you've got a way of working which is basically a method but uh, what was I saying oh yeah artists they're doing something really (coughs) different because all research wants to ask a question Mm -hmm. And the, the, the quality of the research starts with the quality of the question. Like, mm-hmm. how interesting is your question? Is mm-hmm. it, it going to actually get you to learn something new? So if you keep asking questions that everyone's already asked and all the answers yeah. have already been given, yeah, yeah. that's really not great research. Yeah. But research wants to create new knowledge. And you hear a lot about that. And it's, I think art speak is actually taking over that kind of language mm-hmm. as well. Um, so you hear about knowledge production in terms of art. I never understood that. I was thinking, what are you guys, what does that mean? Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. But I think that is what it's about. It's a little hard to understand if you don't understand how the, the language is being framed. But basically, we're trying to produce something new mm-hmm. and something new that says something relevant to where we are. Mm-hmm. So it's not just new and it'll disappear within a day. It might, right. but that's more like a product that's produced or some logo or something or yeah. an advertisement. But the art, if it's producing new knowledge, it's mm-hmm. moving it forward. And it's also relevant to something. That's why all artists based in context. We were all we can't separate from the context yeah. we're in. So and so you get things like art that's about things in society, but that's not necessarily context. So mm-hmm. it's an interesting thing to analyze a little bit further. Yeah, I guess sometimes it's a question of it's not what we're trying to accomplish with the work of art, but it, what is our expectation? Mm-hmm. And say someone is doing a lot of work about 
climate or geology or whatever, and then we make art about it, what is our expectation of the product that we've made? Yeah, I mean, you had an artist like Mark Dion, mm -hmm. who's been working on biodiversity for years and years and years. And I was telling you, I'd proofread a book about his writings and his yeah. work. So I really, really started to get into sort of really detailed reading of what he was, had been saying. And, oh, it was a little bit depressing because he said if, I'm trying to remember correctly, but when he was first starting, he thought the information is there and the art if we work on this and we make people aware, then it will change. Mm -hmm. And slowly but surely realizing that people becoming aware is not what it's about. Yeah. So the art that's trying to get you to, to think something or trying to get you to, to change your mind about something, it doesn't really work. And I mean, it would be really interesting to hear what he's saying about that now. The question of global warming is bigger than anything to do with biodiversity. So that's yeah. the, that's the main thing that's hanging over everything in that sort of sense. But um, what I've been trying to express in talking to you is that I, I'm thinking not necessarily about a really not a literal allusion to any of this, but to something much more subliminal and much mm -hmm. more visceral in a way because it seems like the rational explanations and the arguments have not worked or not yeah. working so people have to be actually shocked out of some kind of basic understanding or basic behavior and that's not a, a rational part that's something deeper mm -hmm. so my feeling is that would need to happen individually i'm not an activist i'm not a sociologist these are such complex things that it's it's very hard to know i think what i'm trying to do is within this area this little tiny area of art where i'm working mm -hmm. to try to address the things that i think are important one thing i wanted to go back to was this <laughs> idea of like the clean white sheet of paper yeah did you go through a period where you were just like <laughs> protecting this white sheet of paper i mean yeah. that would be an epic project this just was... for a month just like nothing is getting out of this well, no marks. I had so many arguments with you know, the people at the art supply store where I would ordered a box with like 250 sheets yeah, of paper. Yeah. I, I think I must have gotten grant money and I thought, okay, I'm yeah, not I'm buying materials. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a dent in the, in, the <laughs> yeah. in the top sheet that went all the way through because oh. she delivered yeah. it in her car. And, <laughs> and I was at the point of saying, you have to take this back. But yeah. I didn't dare, you know, but I still have that box. You haven't, it's just I become its own it object. It's just become a sculpture, yeah. a pierced ream. It's still there in all its ugly glory. Right. Like that's what you use the grant money for, to buy a damaged material you can't use. Wow. Well, I end up giving that stuff away or I give it to students or, you know, it, right. it, will, it will find its way. Like, um, yeah. But, um the whole crumpled paper thing was really born out of the sort of impossibility of protecting the paper yeah. from yeah, damage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I guess it's like appreciating mistakes or, you know, growing from mistakes or something. Or when there's when something's damaged, well, you just deal with it. You, you build on it. Yeah. You don't try to iron it out. Or, or maybe you do to some extent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah repair, care for, and appreciate in some way or take responsibility for it. So... I keep gluing the paper and then going over it, and then the the little repair seam becomes visible on the front because I then mm -hmm. burnish it again. Or so you see those things, but there's certain drawings I really would not like that to happen to. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and, yeah, and yeah. you wouldn't like someone else to do it to them. Really, I really would accident. not. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but you know, that might be an interesting thing. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, this is. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that gets into the whole question of while you're in the process of distressing it yourself, it's one thing, but when it's finished, you know, then you've accomplished this thing. It's sort of like when a writer's writing a novel, anything can happen. You can delete a chapter, you can cross out this and that. But once it's done, the reader can't just say, oh, I don't like this chapter. I'm just, I'm not going to read right. it with that chapter. Right, right. It's like, well, hang on a minute. Um, but that's the sort of fatal flaw in what I'm actually saying now, I yeah. guess. Is that <laughs> I really don't want it to be damaged once it's finished. Yeah. Or certain things, anyway. Yeah. But I think I'm kind of, I mean, these things take time and they develop in steps. I had a show I curated in January in the Netherlands, and I had a drawing that was nine meters long and a, like a meter and a half wide. It was huge. And my idea had been to smash it into the space, and it was too big and it didn't work. And so I ended up cutting it up and mm -hmm. doing something else with it. And now I have those pieces back in my studio, and I've got lots of different pieces. So I'm going to glue them together and mm -hmm. make another drawing. So yeah. what I'm sort of now doing is just recycling parts of things and putting them back together. And that seems to work, but there's different types, I guess. Maybe yeah. that's it. Yeah. I think we're gonna have to oh, end it okay. there. Oh. We've done well, but that was <laughs> good. I'm glad we talked about paper so much. I know. <laughs> paper and pencil. Yeah, there it's you go. Like you got to get back to the basics. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you. And special thanks to Brick Arts Media for use of their recording studio and field equipment and you can subscribe to napping wizard on itunes stitcher google play spotify hopefully at this point any place you get your podcasts and thank you for listening